Hi, this is Pastor Dave Rosales, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. If you've been impacted by these Bible studies, we'd like to hear from you. Whether you're listening through iTunes, Google Play, or any other platform, tap on the stars and leave us a review. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. If you'd like to support this ministry, would you consider partnering with us? Visit our website at calvaryccv.org and click on Give. You can leave us a one-time gift or set up a recurring general donation. Thank you for your support. And now let's begin today's message. All right, Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. We'll begin reading at verse 1. I'll read verses 1 through 3, give you a bit of an introduction and get into our study. Daniel chapter 4, and what we're going to be looking at today, I chose to entitle, Of Pride and Punishment. And you'll see that as we go through this passage. Daniel chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, reading to verse 3, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And so this chapter that we have here, chapter 4, represents the conclusion of what we would call Nebuchadnezzar's spiritual journey. As we began the book of Daniel... His journey has been outlined all the way from chapter 1. Remember in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Nebuchadnezzar had recognized the excellence of Daniel and his friends. And then in chapter 2, verse 47, he had acknowledged that the God of Daniel is the God of gods. When we got to chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, he there acknowledged that Daniel's God was a God who delivers his servants. And so he's going through a spiritual Journey. So in this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar illustrates the praise, the praise that comes from brokenness. Often, praise that results from brokenness is what has been called the purest kind of praise. In Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. When the Lord breaks somebody, very often the result of the breaking is a purity. And thus, after the breaking and the, and the mending and, and God revealing what he intends to do through that, your praise is stronger. It's, it's purer because you have a deeper understanding. And we're going to be seeing something like that as we go through the chapter. Because what we see in this chapter is an illustration of how God breaks a man's pride. Now, why would God break a man's pride? Well, pride was a sin that caused Satan to fall from heaven. Pride is a sin that is of the great, a great, a great, very great sin, and God hates pride. In Proverbs 16, verse 5, everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. God hates pride. And so, throughout the Bible, man is exhorted to live a humble life. And humility is often the result of an honest understanding of our own shortcomings. It's simply seeing ourselves for what we truly, truly are. 
Pride is generally an over-high opinion of ourselves. It's often manifested by arrogance and, and boasting, boasting in our own achievements. And this kind of sinful pride is obviously manifested by self-sufficiency. And so throughout the book of Daniel, God has been dealing with Nebuchadnezzar's pride. He had slowly performed works that had gotten Nebuchadnezzar's attention. He, through a dream, he had gotten his attention. He rescued these young men, and his uh, majesty, God's majesty, was seen. He's getting his attention. But now Nebuchadnezzar here in chapter 4 is going to give what we would call a lengthy personal testimony. Now, there's argument here, and you may already have a question concerning this, so I'll, let me attempt to say something as we begin. There's been argument here concerning whether or not Nebuchadnezzar had actually been converted to the God of Israel. Now, that reminds me of what we read in the Psalms, in Psalm 66, verse 16, where it says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. We will see at the end, I'll conclude by giving you a couple of ideas about the conversion, whether he was converted or simply speaking concerning the fact that the God of, 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 the, of the Israelites is truly a, a majestic God. But as we go through this, what we're going to do is we're going to be seeing how God works with an arrogant person. And we're going to see that what he's doing here, what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here, is he's simply giving praise to, to the one who taught him a magnificent, a magnificent lesson. Now, the purpose for this chapter is revealed in verse 25. If you look at it for just a moment here with me, uh, it says at the very end of that verse, it says, uh, uh, it, it says, seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. So what is intended here is the humbling of this great king so that he comes to understand that it is God who determines who is the ruler. And so this may also be a picture of God's dealing with people in general, especially with the Gentiles, because God gives kingdoms to whomever he desires. And so with that as kind of a, a backdrop, we can begin our study here. Beginning at verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, languages, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. So what we begin with here is what is called a public proclamation. It's actually a royal edict, and you'll see that in a moment. Notice here that it's written to all his subjects. It's a testimony of what God has done to him. And so he says this testimony, verse 2, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. And so when he says this, uh, the Most High God has worked for me, that tells us that God is not the God of Israel alone, but God is the God of the whole earth. Remember, in Daniel's day, each nation or people group had their own gods. I mentioned that to you recently, but you'll see that as you go through the Bible. And, and once again, when, when I would say, I'm, we'll say I'm a Philistine and I, I come against Israel, I bring my gods with me. And uh, they, they'd be symbolized to perhaps a, an idol I carried or whatever. And if my group defeated the Israelites, then I would say my God is greater. That's how it would work. There were what are called tribal gods. But God is not a God of just Israel. God is a God of the whole earth. And that's the whole point that we're seeing here. The God of Israel is the God of the world. When you look in the book of Job, it says in chapter 41, verse 11, 
Who has given to me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven, God said, is mine. In Deuteronomy 10, 14, Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it. God is the ruler and owner of all things. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And see, the God of Israel is not a tribal God. The God of Israel is not just the God of Israel. The God that Israel worships is the God of the universe. And so the king of Babel, Babylon is being taught this lesson because he had his own gods that he worshipped. But now he's given declaration concerning the God of Israel. He says in verse 3, he says, How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. And so he's giving to us uh, 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 insight into the fact that the God of the, of the Jews is the God of the entire universe and his kingdom is everlasting. His dominion, his rulership is, is also from generation to generation. So that contrasts the temporary nature of Babylon with the eternal kingdom of God. Now, that's something that God had already made clear. At least he had uh, given him enough information for him to know that, that his kingdom is temporary. Remember in chapter 2 that he had had this dream, a dream of a golden image. And uh, it was broken into various, uh, you know, uh, gold and silver and all. It was broken down in uh, various uh, metals of different value and all. And, and Daniel had spoken to the king of Babylon and he had said, you are the head of gold. But the head of gold had given place to silver and degrading uh, metals from there. And it was a point of this is what's going to take place during the, 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 the time of the Gentiles. That Gentiles are going to rule over Israel for uh, uh, all of these years and all of that. And so he already knew because he was the head of gold that his kingdom was temporary. He knew that it had already been revealed to him. But um, apparently he didn't remember you see, the Bible makes it very clear there's only one kingdom that lasts forever, and that's the kingdom of God. In Psalm 145, verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. Remember when we were in Revelation, in chapter 11, verse 15, how that it reads, the seventh angel sounded. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so in the Old Testament as well as the New, the kingdom of God is not a temporary kingdom. The true kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And so he's speaking, Nebuchadnezzar is speaking about that, and that's why he says his kingdom, his kingdom, not mine, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. And so verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house, because I'm lazy. No, I was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, soothsayers came in. I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. Does that sound familiar? We've already seen that earlier in the book of Daniel. So he says, I was at rest. When he speaks concerning that way, 
I was at rest in my house and all of that. When he says that, he's saying, I was in peace and I was in security. There are no campaigns, no battles that are existing. So I'm at rest. But in spite of this, my spiritual poverty is about to be revealed. And he says in verse 5 that he saw a dream. Notice the dream made him afraid. In the midst of his peace, in the midst of his security, once again, he has a troubling dream. And so what did he do? Well, verse 6, he issued a decree to bring the wise men of Babylon before me. Now that he had had before. Remember that happened when he had the dream of that great image. So what's he do? He calls in the wise men. But they're unable to give him the interpretation. Now it seems that he had not understood yet the greatness of Daniel and his friends God. Remember in chapter 2, he wouldn't disclose to them his dream, but here he tells them. But they're unable to give him insight into it. Now, I brought this up before. We recently went through the book of Job. I'll say it again. Once again, God communicates with a man through a dream. And somebody said it this way. God communicates with a man who won't open his Bible. And so in the book of Job, in chapter 33, verses 14 through 18, Indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. In a dream, a vision of the night, when sound sleep falls on men while they slumber in their beds, then he opens the ears of men, seals their instruction, that he may turn man aside from his conduct and keep man from pride. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from the passing over into Sheol, into, into hell. And so... God communicates to this man who doesn't know Scripture, doesn't know it very well, if at all, and he did so once again through a dream. And so he brings in his religious guys. Notice they're magicians and, and they're astrologers and Chaldeans and soothsayers, those who say calming things. They come in and, he, and I told them the dream. <laughs> they didn't make known to me its interpretation. Once again, they can't give him the interpretation and they can't give him any comfort. And so as that's taking place, verse 8, at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name, the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. Tell me what's, what's going on. Apparently, Daniel wasn't there when the, the first conversation took place, but we see him coming in now. And he begins to speak to him. Now, when he speaks of him, I should, I should point this out. Notice in verse 8 where it says, Daniel and Belteshazzar. This event is taking place, according to um, commentators, 25 years later than, uh, you know, it's been 25 years since he named him Balthasar. Uh, so he's explaining that Daniel is known by this name. But no, notice how he describes in verse 8, in him, in him is the spirit of the holy God. Now, there's a couple ways this can be looked at. I'm not going to spend a, a lot of time saying this, but a couple ways you can look at this. One when it speaks about in him being the spirit of the holy God, it may be referring to the purity of Daniel. 
because Daniel had a pure heart before the Lord and, God, uh, and he lived a, a godly life. So one commentator says this may be in reference to his moral purity, but it also, another commentator said, may speak of the moral excellence of the God that Daniel serves. It is the holy God that he serves. And so, notice verse 9, he calls, uh, calls Daniel, Belteshazzar, the chief of the magicians. Now, the word magician is not necessarily what you're thinking. You know, they're not standing there with a little hat pulling out a rabbit or anything like that. The word magician, magi, can also speak of a scholar. And so what he's referring to is these uh, religious scholars whom he's speaking to. And um, Daniel is the master over the religious scholars. When he speaks of it that way, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is honoring him. And he's recognizing that he can be of help to him. And so he says to him, I, I want to know the interpretation, verse 10. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew, became strong. Its height reached to the heavens. It could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches. All flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on, on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth, bound with the band of iron and bronze. In the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to him whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. So Nebuchadnezzar explains his dream. Notice that the tree is very great. Notice that it's strong. Notice that it's growing. Notice it's bearing much fruit. And as he looks at the tree, this watcher, the word watcher there is also translated the vigilant one. This watcher comes down from heaven. So that would be his Babylonian manner of speaking of an angelic messenger. That's the way a Babylonian would have spoken of an angel. And a decree is given. Notice the decree. The tree is to be chopped down. It's to be stripped bare. It leaves the stump in the earth. And then this tree in verses, uh, verse 15 and 16, the image is then changed to that of a man. And so he gives him this, this, uh, this dream and all. And then he says in verse 17 again, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men Men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest event. So this is what he heard and this is what he saw. So this is the dream that I've seen. 
Now, the purpose of this is for people to know that government is established by God. It is he who places into power whomever he desires. In Job, we saw this in chapter 5, verse 11. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. God makes the determination, and that's what Daniel is going to be sharing with Nebuchadnezzar when it says, the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. You are the king. You are a magnificent, most powerful king on the face of the earth. And yet it is the Lord who has put you there. You did not put yourself in that position. And so as he's speaking that in verse 18, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. I'm going to put you on the, uh, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot. I, I believe that you can, you can tell me what this is, what this means. And so, Daniel, verse 19, whose name was Balthazar, was astonished for a time. His thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Balthazar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Balthazar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. I don't want to tell you this. Now, there'd be a lot of reasons why. We can think of some of them. What does what uh, Nebuchadnezzar do to those that make him upset? I'm going to cut you in pieces and burn down your house. So I don't know about you, but I probably would ask the Lord from wi for wisdom and how to approach this. And, and so there's a hesitation, at least in part, by the reality of the fact that he's speaking to this king. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's not, he's not afraid at the same time. But he doesn't want to say anything. Notice that Nebuchadnezzar urges him and says, don't be troubled. Now, when he says to him, don't be troubled, you need to tell me. That reveals the king's respect and trust in Daniel. He assures Daniel, there's, there's no danger to you. I respect you and all of that. I, I think it's always wise for us when we're speaking to those in authority to, to regard them with the kind of honor that, and respect that the office should determine. And so that's what he's doing here. Well, Daniel, in verse 19, Daniel, when he, when he gives his reply, that's what is called a typical courtesy. He's saying, I don't want this to apply to you. I, 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 would, I would prefer it being applicable to somebody who is more of an enemy, but not to you. But he has to now give the interpretation. There he goes, verse 20. Well, the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in those branches the birds of the heaven had their home. <laughs> it's you, king, who have grown and become strong. For your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. 
They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Yeah. The tree represents you, O king. You've grown mighty, but you've also grown arrogant. You've grown mighty, but you've also become extremely proud. And the thing that God is intending to teach you is that he's the one who gave you the kingdom that you're ruling. He's the one who set you up because the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowest of men. You, O king, have been given this amazing power and authority by God. It isn't something that you did yourself. Or we're going to see something in just a moment. It's not something that comes out of your own ingenuity. You need to understand that it's God who raised you to that position. You have grown mighty, but you have also grown extremely proud. Because no matter how great you are, God is greater still. So humble yourself, please. Break off your sins. Live righteously. Repent. Demonstrate true repentance by, by concern for others. Because that's what you need to do. You see in verse 26, inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous. Your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. That is a strong word to the king. You need to repent. You need to break off your sins. You need to stop sinning. You need to, to live a life that is righteous because a right life that is righteous is pleasing to God. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to do what we call in Scripture to repent. And if you repent, you're going to be demonstrating your repentance by, by your concern for others. That's what he means in verse 27 when he says your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Because true repentance is demonstrated by a change of behavior. The, when we speak of repentance, the word repent in the New Testament word in the Greek is, is the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia speaks of a change of mind. You know, a lot of times we speak of repentance, and, and you'll hear this, and I've heard this often, and, and sometimes the word repentance uh, is illustrated by somebody weeping over their sins, right? I, we've heard that before. Oh, he was so broken. He was so repentant. He was crying. But you may find this interesting. Most of you would already know this. Perhaps you don't. Repentance doesn't necessarily um, have tears that accompany it. Sometimes they do. Sometimes there's something that happens in broken and contrite spirit you, you might have, and, and there are tears that flow because you realize what you've done has been injurious to others and painful, and, and you've gone through things as a result of that. And there may be tears of sorrow over that, but, but repentance is not an emotion. It's a decision. And I think that's where a lot of people make their mistake. 
is saying, I, I don't feel like I've repented because I haven't felt an emotion. You know, my wife, Marie, when she was my girlfriend, spoke to me on one occasion, and, and she had committed her heart to Christ, uh, I think, three weeks or so into coming to a Bible study I was teaching. I was teaching a Bible study to my brother, Frank. He had given his heart to the Lord, and I was driving from Norwalk to Ontario. He began to invite friends from work to, uh, to the Bible study, and then one day this young woman walks in, and uh, my brother, I still remember my brother saying, David, this is Marie. I'll always remember that. David, this is Marie. And I looked up at this young lady, and she looked back at me, and she came running at me, tried to kiss me. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I said, no, 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 you may not do that. <laughs> now she just looks at me like, yeah, so what? And she went and sat down. And she came to the Bible study. The next week she didn't. The next week she came again and never stopped. She's been with me since the third week of her, her first meeting of me. And so um, my sister Madeline had spoken to her, and my sister Madeline had led Marie to faith in Christ. And so that's how my, my wife, who became, the girl who became my girlfriend and my wife later on, that's how she got saved. And one day she was speaking to me, and she said this to me. She said, I don't think I'm really, I don't know I'm saved. And I said, and why is that? Well, she said, when you have spoken of your testimony, you speak of, of, of how you, the weight rolled off your shoulder, the joy of God came upon you. She says, I haven't had any emotion. I haven't felt anything. I don't think I've repented. And, and even back then, you know, I was 24 years old. I said, that's not what repentance is. Repentance in Scripture is a change of mind. Sometimes there are emotions. Sometimes there are people we've been at, the, at, that, uh, at that altar, if you will. Sometimes there are. Crying, saying, oh my God, what I have done, what I have done. God forgive me, God forgive me a sinner. But not always. I may have somebody watching online right now or somebody in this room who may have even questioned that about yourself. Have I changed? Am I, I haven't, you know, I hear these people give testimonies and they cry. And me, I don't feel any of that. Maybe I'm not saved. Well, maybe you're not. I don't know. I can't be the judge of that. But I can say this, that true repentance is not an emotion. True repentance is a decision of the will. It's hearing what God says, agreeing with him, and saying to him, be merciful to me because I am condemned as a sinner. Forgive me. Now, you, you, may, you may have tears of joy. You may. You may smile and say, oh, I can almost, I can feel I can feel, I feel different. That's what happened to me. And that's why Marie was wondering. Because when I got saved, the, I, I told her this, it was like the weight of the world just rolled off my shoulders. I, I, finally, I finally could breathe again. I, I could finally, I just knew something had happened. But, but I, that, that feeling isn't what guaranteed my salvation because about three weeks later, I was speaking to a friend of mine named George and he's the one who stood up with me when I got saved. And I said to him, George, I don't think I'm saved. And he said, why? Because I don't feel saved. And George, you know, he was very wise. He was my elder. He had been a Christian for almost a year. <laughs> very deep man. But to me, a year is a long time compared to three weeks, four weeks. He said, David, and he's the one who reminded me and, and taught me Again, he said, 
It isn't what you're feeling. It's the facts. And you have faith in facts. And the feelings follow. Faith in facts and feelings follow. It's never the feeling. It's always the fact. So you have the fact and you have faith. And then you have feelings that follow. He said, you're not saved because you feel saved. You're saved because God saved you. You're saved because God's word can be trusted. But there are evidences of salvation. Because there have been people who say, oh, I'm a Christian. As they're boozing it up or you know, whatever sin may be the sin they like. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I just write, you know, no, no, no. No, because that's what repentance is. It's a change of mind concerning God's way of entering into heaven, a life that you're living, and it becomes an agreement with what he says is true. So repentance is a change of mind. And, and again, repentance is not only felt. What it is, it's a, a changed way of life. In Acts 26, verse 20, the apostle Paul said this. He said, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent, turn to God, and prove their repentance, demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So your, your life demonstrates genuine repentance. It's a transformed life. That's part of why he said in verse 27, let my advice be acceptable, Break off your sins. That's repentance. Be righteous. That's the result of repenting. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. You demonstrate that it's actually happened by what you do. You see, I mentioned this, and you already know this, if you've been with me going through Daniel or have read Daniel before. Nebuchadnezzar could be cruel. I mean, think about that. I'm going to cut your bodies up, and I'm going to... Or I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. I mean, when we saw the, 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 the three young men in the fiery furnace and all of that, and how he had had his soldiers who had taken them to the mouth of that furnace, and the soldiers died too. The soldiers died. That's cruelty. It's when he said to these soldiers, accompany these young men and throw them in the furnace, he was giving them the death sentence. He was saying, you're going to die. And they did. They went up there. They cast these young men in, and the fire burned them to death. He was a very, very cruel man. He could be extremely cruel, and that's why he's speaking to him in this way. He says, show mercy. You're a man who's, who's, who's always obviously known for your cruelty. You need to show humility, and you need to repent, and repentance will be accompanied by a concern, a concern for other people, and that will be what is called the fruit of repentance. So cease being so angry, cease being so cruel, and begin to be merciful. That'll demonstrate that you understand who the God of heaven actually is. Well, he speaks to him, and he says, if you do that, there may be, there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Well, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, a year later, he was walking around the royal palace of Babylon, and the king spoke, and he's speaking to himself apparently, oh, is not this great Babylon that I've built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power? 
and for the honor of my majesty. Oh, I've done a good job. Look at me. Look how beautiful this is. And so he begins to boast about what he's done. He couldn't contain himself. Now, perhaps for a year he had turned over this new leaf, but he had never genuinely repented. And ultimately what happens is his true self was revealed. I have seen this, you have seen this, where somebody says, man, I almost got killed or I almost got arrested. Man, I'm going to change, man. I'm going to, that was close. I almost got killed. I, there were so many times I almost got killed, and I said, oh, man. Did you guys ever bargain with God? You know, God, if you get me out of this, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll do this or I'll do that. Uh, I, I did. Even as a new Christian, there used to be these uh, radio, long ago, <laughs> 50 years ago, something called radio. Um, I was listening to it, and it was called AM. That's another one. And because uh, nobody listened to FM radio, by the way. All of you guys have been raised with that. Or satellite radio for the younger ones, right? Um, internet radio, whatever. We grew up with what was called AM radio. Nobody listened to FM radio. And FM radio, all of the band was empty. And on a certain day, a friend of my, friends of mine would gather together and they would listen to this one FM station because the guy, the guy had something called a stereo, which was really new. Because that was a time, <laughs> ancient history, I'll just share a minute with you. <laughs> you would actually be going with your parents, we'll say, as a kid, and you'd go by a hotel, motel, really, and it would say, color TV. That would be on a big banner there, like, wow, color TV. Because they didn't have color TV. And if you got a big TV, it was going to be 19 inches. <laughs> you were, you were big time. You, you. And so, I listened to AM. There was KK, KRLA, and KHJ, and what was the other one, Ronnie? SKRS. Wolfman Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I'm walking down. Just li let's talk for a while, Ronnie. You wanna <laughs> tell me about it. Tell me about it. But what happened is you would actually, they would have these giveaways, and they'd say, if you, if you are the 11th caller, you can win $100. That's a lot of money back in 1967, 68. It's a lot of money. And, I, and then in 1970, when I got saved, I, I didn't have a job. I didn't like to work. And so I would listen to the radio and I would call. That was my job. And, <laughs> and I, I remember telling God, I said, if you, if you let me win 100, I heard something about tithing that is something like 10%. I will give you 10 bucks. And I, I, I actually said that. I will give you 10 bucks because I hear it's around 10. I'll give you 10. Then I, you know, the sixth caller, the third caller, and I just kept on. I was working so hard. And then finally... <laughs> I was saying, all I need is 10 bucks. All I need, I'll give you $90. See, so I learned a long, and I never won. I, I learned a long time ago about bargaining with God. And, and it, 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 sometimes you can have a, man, I almost died, or I, I need this, and I'm going to change. And it, it, and it can happen. And for him, it was 12 months. 12 months, he said, man, I, that, that dream scared me so badly. I've got to straighten up. I've got to fly right. For a year, 
But it just came out. There he is walking around. He's looking at this unbelievable landscape. And he said, oh, my pride. I, I cannot, I cannot, uh, I can't keep myself from saying something. Notice the king spoke saying, in verse 30, is, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? He's boasting. There's all these beautiful buildings. They were constructed of, of brick and, and stone. There were the gardens, the hanging gardens of Babylon. And these hanging gardens were planted on top of a building. It served to beautify and keep the building cool from the summer heat. He's looking at the beautiful hanging gardens. He had temples he could see in the distance. His own city had parks and armaments and architecture that was amazing. Everything that money could buy. And he's looking at it saying, how amazing, how beautiful this is. And I did this all myself. Well, verse 31, well, the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. Seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My understanding returned to me. I blessed the Most High, praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? <laughs> he immediately went insane. As it says, he began to live like a beast and commentators when it says seven times could be up to seven years. So from a powerful, regal king to a filthy shell of a human being. He was more than likely kept in isolation so his subjects didn't see him. Daniel and his friends and other counselors would begin to run the empire. And Daniel, because of his influence, more than likely had influenced the others and told them, this is temporary, so treat the king with kindness. And that time came, and ultimately seven years of it and it ended. And then he says in verses 34 and 35 that he said, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Someone wrote, he was saved by a look. He was saved by a look to heaven. In Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. I am God, there is no other. So he looked up to heaven and he begins to say, verse 35, no one can restrain his hand and no one can say to him, what have you done? In other words, God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. God does not answer to man. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Psalm 135, verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. He is the sovereign king. This is what he learned of the universe. 
And then he says in verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride, <laughs> he's able to put down. Speaking from some experience here. Now, prior to chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar had looked at the God of Israel in a way that he would look at his own gods. But chapter 4 now reveals that he worships the king of heaven. Again, I mentioned this at the beginning. There's a debate as to whether Nebuchadnezzar became a true follower of the God of Israel. Notice that he acknowledged God as the sovereign ruler. Notice that he called him the king of heaven. And he also made it clear that God is all-powerful and unstoppable. And many commentators would say that this man became a true believer in the God of Israel. And it closes with an amazing testament to the fruitfulness of Daniel's godly life because even the king of Babylon was moved by his testimony. Never underestimate the value of a life that is lived openly for God on the workplace. Never forget, and some of you, some of you may, may need to be reminded of this or encouraged in this. <laughs> I don't know how to put this because I made myself laugh with the thought. I'll have to stop and go again. Um, Sometimes we think people are watching us and maybe they're not. It's because we're a little kooky. But the fact is, people are watching. My father got saved. And he told me this. He said, David, he said, I saw you come to Christ. And I said to myself, he needed him. I saw your sister come to Christ and I asked myself, why did she? He said, David, I knew I was better than you. But I knew I wasn't as good as my daughter. He said, so I combined seeing your life and her life. And that is what caused my dad to listen to the message. You have neighbors who know that you're a Christian. You'll be surprised. I have a next door neighbor. I've lived in the same home for 25 years. And uh, he doesn't talk to me. I, I went out, 25 years. I went out and he has a, a Mustang and, and I admire nice cars. And he's a 66 fastback. Some of you guys know what that is. And uh, I like it, it's a cool car. And so when we first moved in there, I, walk, I, I saw him, he pulled it out and I walked up to him and that's a nice car. Now, normally, car guys are real friendly. This guy's not. <laughs> He's just not. So I kind of tried to visit with him, and he didn't want to talk. And even to this day, he doesn't talk to me for whatever reason. But one of the guys in our church talked to me a while back now, and he says, you know your next-door neighbor? I said, 
Not really, but yeah. He goes, I work with him. I said, oh, yeah, he knows you're a pastor. How? He didn't talk to me. He did. I am telling you, you would be surprised at people who know who you are without you even knowing it. You will be surprised. And I have told my staff, I have said, never forget who you are. Because you may go to a restaurant, you may go to a, st a store, you may go to Costco, and there are people that are walking by that you don't even know, but they know who you are. Marie has had people walk up to her in the supermarket looking into the shopping cart to see what she's buying. And that's why I've taught her, put the beer on the bottom <laughs> next to the water. They have looked into the cart. I've had them walk up to me when I'm eating to look at the iced tea I'm drinking to see whether it's a drink. You will be surprised at the people who watch you because you are what has been called the living Bible. And when they watch you, they see whether your faith is real. One last comment. Some of you who came to the to the 40-year anniversary celebration. My son David shared this, and I'll close with this, speaking of the power of a testimony. In our home, when my kids were growing up, we had the three-strike rule. If they use a, a, a profane word, one strike, I'd say strike one, strike two, strike three, we'd change it. That's it, I don't want this. And so my kids grew up that way. I was home. I was in the front room. I thought I was by myself. There was nobody home. And so I sat down and turned on a movie. I didn't know what kind of movie it was. It was an action movie of some sort. I'm just sitting there because I like action movies. I can't do it, so I'll let somebody else do it and entertain me. <laughs> and they use a, a bad word. And under my breath, I said something like, well, that's that. And I changed it. My son David was in the other room. And he came and told me, and he said this last week. He said, I wanted to see what my father would do because he didn't know any, he didn't know I was home. He thought he was, my dad thought he was alone. He said, and I knew that that movie had a bad word in it. Oh, really, Dave? We need to talk about that. <laughs> that was strike four. That's that kind of word. <laughs> he said, I wanted to see what my dad would do. I didn't see anything. I was quiet. And I heard my father say, well, that's that. And he changed it. You never know. You never know. For me, it was my son. But there are others who have seen me in so many places. And I'm always aware why. Because the power of a godly life impacts people. Never forget that. Never forget that. And Daniel's life impacted this mighty king, Nebuchadnezzar. If you'd like to learn more about Pastor David or Calvary Chapel Chino Valley, please visit our website at calvaryccv.org. Thanks for listening and have a great day.